You're listening to Mr. Open Banking, the only podcast dedicated to exploring the open banking movement. Whether you're a financial expert, banking executive, or everyday consumer, open banking affects everyone and will change the way we interact with our money. I'm A.L. Savan, your host. This episode is brought to you by Axway, leaders in enterprise integration for over 20 years. There's no denying that we've come a long way when it comes to the divide between the haves and the have-nots. Over the decades, societies everywhere have continued to recognize the benefits of raising all boats, not just for moral reasons, but because a thriving economy creates wealth and opportunity for everyone. Today, there is a new chapter being written in the story of class struggle. A good chapter. It shows how far we've come. All over the world, we are starting to recognize a new kind of social challenge, a massive one, left ignored. The challenge of the great unbanked. Despite banking being around for over two millennia, there still remain millions who to this day do not have access to even the most basic banking services. Having no bank account often means you're cut off from a lot of options. You can't buy a car or a house. You can't get a loan to start a business or invest. For banks, it just doesn't make any business sense to cater to low-income customers. It simply costs too much. So, they've been left out. That is, until today. Technological advances now make it possible to move and manage money in the palm of your hand. The smartphones and internet access that power it all continue to get cheaper and more accessible. Suddenly, the great unbanked can not only be served, they have become an enormous untapped market for the banks of tomorrow. To see this dynamic in action, look no further than Brazil, perhaps the most exciting open banking environment out there. Brazil straddles two worlds. On the one hand, they have a mature, developed economy and a tech-savvy population. But on the other, they have extreme poverty and exclusion. In many ways, they see open banking as a way to bridge this divide by bringing the great unbanked into the fold. Carlos Cazu Misal is at the forefront of his region's transformation into open banking. Currently residing in Sao Paulo, Brazil, Carlos is involved firsthand in some of Brazil's largest open banking advances. Currently, Carlos is the head of customer innovation solutions at GFT Brazil and is focused on two main pillars, helping clients disrupt their businesses to work with new technologies and connecting them with global offerings. Carlos, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Welcome to Mr. Open Banking. Thank you, Rayal. It's a pleasure to be here. Why don't you tell us about the current banking landscape in Brazil? 
How is it unique compared to other countries? Well, this is a good question because it brings up to the discussion the size of Brazil. I think Brazil is unique because of its size and how diverse its population is. So one of the main challenges in open banking in Brazil is how to achieve all the banked, but also the unbanked people, right? So we are talking about around 40 million people. They don't have directly a relationship with a bank so far. So this is a big challenge for the banks to explore what open banking can bring in terms of new models. Let's explore that concept a little bit. What exactly do you mean by the unbanked? Brazil has around 200 million people. So when we talk that 40 million people are unbanked, it means that these people don't have any relationship with a bank directly. So they handle currency, but they don't have a banking account. They are not seen by the banks. So these unbanked, would you say they are a priority for the banks in Brazil? What we see is that banks will explore gradually the unbanked people. But first, they will focus on the banked ones just because they know them. They are current clients. They know their behavior. They know what are their business needs. And they have their data, right? So the unbanked people can be a priority. I think in terms of concept, open banking is focused on these people. But banks will have to figure out and to discover how to explore these people in different angles, right? From infrastructure, from products, from behavior, from data, how to collect their data and so on. So they are priority, yes, but I think banks will have to understand better how to explore it. One of the most basic requirements to get access to financial services is internet access. Is there a way that Brazil is addressing that challenge? A couple of years ago, Brazil launched a public program to include digitally everybody into this environment. It's a very challenging initiative. You know, Brazil has a, a lot of poverty and it's pretty hard to extend the infrastructure to distant regions. So I think countries like India or China had the same problem, but they are way forward from Brazil because we need to invest a lot in infrastructure, including these people into the networks, into the data. So something that will happen is that banks will have to work together with governments and telco companies in order to solve or to help them to solve this, this issue. So for sake of argument, let's presume that access to technology is there. You said that the existing banks have to learn how to cater to the unbanked. The unbanked, of course, aren't just about social good and helping raise people out of poverty. They are also a massive business opportunity. Are you seeing examples in Brazil of others catering to that opportunity where the existing banks are not? Yes, of course. I will give an example. It's very recent because of the 
COVID, public banks had to create the emergency aids. These aids were created to impact or to help the poorest part of the population, right? And they are exactly the unbanked people. So there are two main public banks in Brazil. One is Banco do Brasil, and the other is Caixa. Caixa was responsible for distributing this emergency aids. So what they did, they created a digital wallet to provide these emergency aids for all the individuals. And then they had to create a very, very light app to run in many different types of devices. Most of these people don't have a robust smartphone. So they had to create a very light app in order to distribute this money. So what happened? In six months, there were 100 million new accounts opened digitally to receive this emergency aid. So this was an incredible and dramatic acceleration. So Caixa actually was the fifth on the rank of biggest banks in Brazil. And now they are the biggest digital bank in Latin America with 100 million accounts. You talked about the unbanked and you talked about fintech. Do those two come together in Brazil? Do you see fintechs that are explicitly targeting the unbanked? Yes. There are many fintechs focused and specialize in offering this type of products. For example, microcredit and facilitating some payments. The biggest banks or the incumbents, they are not taking that risk as the fintechs are. So this is a very, very niche and in good space to explore. Brazil financial markets is known as a very regulated and strong market, especially because of the different crises we had in the last decades. So this made our financial system to become very regulated and strong in terms of risk assessment and frauds and etc. And then Brazilian culture, Brazilian people is known as a very entrepreneur spirit. So these two things bring a very boiling fintechs and startups movements in Brazil in the last years. And this is where the new banks are gaining space in Brazil. They are exploring niche. They are providing different products and with a reduced time to market. And they are talking the young people language. And we have some unicorns, of course, but we have plenty of small fintechs uh, exploring this model. As we've discussed before, one of the most fascinating aspects of open banking is its potential for non-zero-sum outcomes. This is a fancy way of saying that, done right, open banking can be good for everybody. For banks, for fintechs, for regulators, for citizens. The example Carlos gives of Caixa Bank is bang on. They were required by the government to provide a social good to help citizens with aid. And while doing so, 
they became the largest bank in Latin America. Win, win, win. But don't mistake Brazil for some banking oligopoly. Fintechs are absolutely thriving there, the most prominent example being Newbank, a challenger bank that in seven short years has grown to 34 million customers and a valuation of $25 billion. Much of their success comes from explicitly targeting the unbanked. Perhaps it's this stiff competition that compels the incumbents to move faster. One of the other unique things in Brazil is that in this dynamic, ever-changing financial technology environment, the government and their regulators are completely on board, doing their very best to keep up with these changes and help both incumbents and challengers alike to thrive as they build this entirely new and decidedly modern financial ecosystem. Recently, no less than three regulations have been passed that are trying to wrap their arms around this financial technology change. One is LGPD, which covers data privacy. One is PIX, that's P-I-X, which covers instant payments. And the third is open banking, which, as our regular listeners already know, covers standardized APIs for the secure sharing of financial data. Carlos and I go through each of those in turn. Tell us about LGPD, the privacy law that went live back in August. It's known as LGPD, and it's a general law, so it affects every individual and every company in Brazil. So it's, there is a fundamental change in, in the way individuals and companies interact. Not only banks, but all the companies had to change their processes and technology to support and to be compliant with that. So our clients mainly are the banks and they are really, really worried. There were big changes in their infrastructure and their systems applications to adopt and to be compliant with LGPD. It seems similar to the GDPR regulation passed in Europe. Is that right? Actually, our LGPD is very inspired in GDPR. I mean, there are some pieces of other regulations, but GDPR is the main inspiration for Brazilian law. Does that mean Brazil also moved in the direction of identity and managing data rights? Correct. Now with LGPD in Brazil, each individual is the owner of its data. So for every company who will handle information, clients' information, customers' information, or even non-customers' information, they will need to get the consent and they will have to work with the minimal set of information needed for that purpose. So this is very, very strong and based on the data rights. Some specialists say that data rights are not the new human rights. 
Indeed, we've heard other guests on the show uh, talk about just that. How far would you say the discussion has gone? Is it really about privacy the way GDPR is, or has it gone towards true data rights in the vein of the CDR in Australia? It's early to say that, but what we see is that Brazil, the government has created a data privacy authority in order basically to defend the data rights. So we strongly believe that they will keep this position in terms of defend the individual in front of the companies that are using that. So what we see is that there is a fundamental change on how banks and any company will treat people's data. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about PICS, the recent payments regulation that went live just last month. Yes, it's been exciting. We had two to three weeks since it went live, and there are more than 20 billion Brazilian RAI switched in the instant payment transactions. So it's a very amazing start because most optimistic won't bet that the adoption will be so high. This is another fundamental change in the way banks and clients will interact. The way people will transfer and handle their money will change. Central bank wants with peaks to reduce the cost for the final client and reduce the usage of currency. For the first weeks, it's been a success. And the most interesting here is that the instant payment regulation is completely based on open APIs. Love the excitement. Let's get a little specific. Tell our listeners what PIX is exactly. What does it let you do that you couldn't do before? In Brazil, you have some products to transfer money in the peer-to-peer, right? And these products are not real-time. So when, when we transfer money in a peer-to-peer model, it takes a while. What central bank did was to create a new arrangement, a new architecture, where they have a centralized system where all these transactions could be run and the transfers are instant. In 10 seconds, max, you have the money transferred from one account to another. And additionally, you don't need to know even your banking account. So they created some features where you can track your banking account to your mobile, to your document number, to your email. Are there lower tech rails as well, such as QR codes, similar to what you see in Asia? Yes. There are other functions in the instant payments arrangement where you can use QR codes especially when you're talking about e-commerces or even P2G, right? Payments to government, plans to have QR codes using instant payments for all their transactions as well. So the unbanked that you mentioned earlier seem to be part of the equation. Is that right? That's right. That's correct. Because with instant payment, you don't need a banking account to use this and to take advantage of it. 
You just need a, a digital wallet, a payment account. So this is an important point here because these fintechs, startups, payment companies can reach out to the non-banked people faster than the banks in a cheaper way because by regulation, by design, instant payments, for example, cannot be charged to the final customer. So this is amazing because this is a faster and a cheaper product to be offered to these non-banked people. You mentioned the elimination of cash. This is a fascinating question because in some parts of the world, you see governments defending cash and in fact mandating that cash remain in an effort to help the poor. In other regions, you see more the direction you're describing, the elimination of cash and the introduction of low-cost technology-driven alternatives. Brazil has both an established middle and upper class, lots of existing technology, but also, as you mentioned, a poorer population. Where do you stand? Keep cash or get rid of it? With such different realities in Brazil, there are no alternatives. We need cash, especially for the poor. So, for example, the emergency aids that I mentioned, of course, they are based on giving money in cash for these people. Using the Lights app, they can have a digital wallet to receive it. But most of the people actually used these digital wallets to withdraw the money on ATM. This is the way they use money, actually. But what will happen in Brazil in the near future, in my opinion, is that this part of the population will start to see the advantage, the facilities of using their digital wallets that they already have for using, for example, picks to make a payment instead of money. So it's not the main purpose of the central bank to eliminate cash, but it will happen naturally because of everything that's happening in the last year in Brazil. So this is amazing. We have 100 million of people using digital wallets and with the potential instant payment functionalities at their hands. This is something that will incentivize the usage of digital money instead of cash. Do you think that one of the barriers to adoption of PICS is trust? Do people have a concern that all of these transactions are running through a centralized rail run by the government? Yes, for the good and for the bad. So what we are seeing at this moment, many people are concerned or don't know exactly what is behind PICS. What really happens when you transfer your money on a peer-to-peer arrangement that is in some in certain way is centralized and tracked by central banks. So there are some concerns around that, especially in the mid-class and upper classes. 
So I think in the near future that it's going to be overcome, this concern around the centralization of the regulator. How are the unbanked reacting? Do they even care? Actually, these people, the unbanked people, they are used to handle with currency, right? With cash. But not, not because they don't trust the central bank or the banks. It's just because they don't have any other alternative. Once they have other options, cheaper as using cash, like PIX, I don't believe that they will give any uh, resistance on, on using that. Just the opposite. A centralized rail run by the government. Are you sure that the unbanked don't care about being tracked? I wouldn't say they don't care, but I would say that if they have a good alternative, a safer way to handle cash, they will adopt. It sounds like you're saying they care more about their financial security than they do about their privacy. Well, this is a good point because the unbanked people, they didn't have this option of using digital cash. So what I believe is that they would be more open to give access or to give their data for the benefit of a safer arrangement, a safer way to handle money. And even they don't know, they are protected by the LGPD, by the privacy law, because the information cannot be used without consent and cannot be used for commercial purposes without them knowing and consenting that. So, in a certain way, the adoption of these arrangements will be safe for everybody, banked and unbanked people. So the laws are intended to protect you whether you asked for that protection or not. Exactly. The banks and regulators in Brazil have indeed been very busy. LGPD for privacy and identity. PICS for real-time instant payments. Without a doubt, Brazil is on a mission to modernize their financial system. Banks, fintechs, and regulators, all working in lockstep on multiple standards at a time. Even more than that, with PIX, the Brazilian central bank is fundamentally committed to creating a payment system that is accessible to everyone in as many different ways as possible, no matter what their income. Clearly, they have the unbanked at the center of their plans and are looking to unleash their potential, similar to what we see happening in Asia. But, unlike open banking payments, PIX payments are all run through the central bank. Does this raise privacy concerns? Carlos doesn't think so. He argues that, in the end, if the unbanked had the opportunity they would happily trade some of their privacy for a chance at real financial security. One of the goals of all this financial innovation in Brazil 
is to provide that financial security by creating a more level playing field that is more easily available to all. That's where the third and final regulation comes in. Our favorite, open banking. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the open banking regime in Brazil and where you are today? In our vision, privacy, instant payments are part of the open banking concept. So we have central banking publishing the regulation. We are proud to be part of it. We, we actually helped them to create the technical uh, standards for the first phase of the open bank in Brazil. And now what we are seeing is the business models that can be explored by open banking is already in the bank and fintechs and startups agenda. So this is the missing part. Actually, this year was so crazy, let's say, in terms of the pandemic and central banking pushing many different uh, regulations. And open banking was planned to go live in Brazil, and it was postponed to February in the first phase. The Brazilian open banking has four phases, uh, and the last one will be in December of 2021. So in general, we will have around three months delay from the original plan. Why the delay? What has the reaction of the banks been to the regulation? The many parallels initiatives run by Central Bank in Brazil was one of the reasons for the delay. Actually, most of the banks were very, very busy in putting many efforts on LGPD, the privacy law, and the instant payment. So it cost a lot of money and time from their technology areas and actually stress out a little bit even the central bank because central bank, they are the owners of this process of all these movements and was running three different initiatives at the same time during the pandemic. It sounds like you're saying they went a little too far, a little too quickly. Correct. And now they decided to postpone open banking. Most of the banks are already running their projects to set up and ramp up the architectures for open banking, but they are not ready. So it was a common sense of the market to postpone it. Even though they're not ready, would you say their attitude has been positive? Yes. Actually, we can see that the incumbents, they are seeing open banking more as an opportunity than a threat. And we are talking about delaying two months, right? So it seems very reasonable. Tell us a little bit about your involvement, GFT's involvement in the development of the open banking standards. GFT has wide experience in open banking projects in Europe, in Asia. And we brought this knowledge to our Brazilian operation. And we are recognized as a tech-savvy company, but also a specialist in banking. And based on the projects we put in place, the work team that are 
preparing the technical documentation for open banking and for a central bank, hired us to write down the technical patterns and standards for the APIs, for the first 24 APIs that are covered in the first phase of the open banking. So we are very happy to be part of this movement, very proud of it, actually. On this show, we like to get philosophical. So let's do that. We talked about the unbanked and three regulations in flight in Brazil to try and create more accessibility within the financial ecosystem. Do you think that it will work, that creating this kind of innovation in the financial ecosystem built on open banking will raise the boats, will help the unbanked? I really believe that these initiatives are good for society. I think it's much broader than banking or fintechs or non-banked people. I think it's technology bringing facilities and bringing convenience and bringing innovation to the way we as individuals will handle money and work with banks and companies. I really do believe that these initiatives are much more than a regulation. I think it's a game changer for us as a country. People will have new ways of using their money, consuming financial products in a cheaper way, in a safer way. And for a country like Brazil, it means include people in this environment, protect people in terms of privacy, in terms of data rights, in terms of physical security as well. Once we are uh, working with digital money rather than cash. All of these initiatives are very important for underdeveloped country like Brazil. More than the developed countries that are already taking advantage of the benefits of open banking, countries like Brazil have much more to gain. So just like open banking levels the playing field domestically and allows the unbanked access to financial services, it sounds like you're saying open banking also levels the playing field internationally and allows Brazil to compete head-to-head against more developed markets. Exactly. Where do you see Brazil five years from now? The first thing that comes to my mind is that in five years, we will have more uh, decentralized financial system and also a more included system where these non-banked people will be part of the arrangement. So these three initiatives will put Brazil side to side to the most advanced financial markets in the world. This is awesome. Excellent. Carlos, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure, Ariel. Thank you so much. When banking began thousands of years ago, 
it was only available to a select few. For centuries, it remained in the domain of the elite. Only over the past century has banking become generally available to the average person. And yet, even today, billions of people still lack access to even the most basic banking services. Having no connection to any banking system in any way. Being stuck in a cash-based economy leaves them exposed to crime, powerless to get financial assistance, and unable to build a future. Bringing us back to Brazil, a country that is modern, rich, and stable, but nevertheless has millions stuck in poverty. Like Carlos, Many in Brazil feel that open banking may be the answer. And if you happen to be in a region that is trying to embrace open banking, I strongly suggest you follow their example. Wrangling multiple standards at one time, they have managed to corral banks, fintechs, and regulators towards a common goal. A modern, fluid financial system based on open standards true pioneers. More than that, the Brazilians understand something that many others still have not learned. That open banking is not just about seeing all your accounts in one place or paying for things faster. It's about opening up access to banking itself. Access that millions of people still lack. Brazil sees this not just as a moral matter, but hopes to create millions of new customers at the same time. All by offering them easy access to banking services, a chance at true financial security, and opportunities that they simply have never had before. Thanks to open banking, the great unbanked may well become a relic of the past. Thanks for listening to Mr. Open Banking, the podcast that explores the ongoing evolution of open banking and its impact on our lives. Make no mistake, the rise of open banking is going to change financial services forever, and we will be covering that story every step of the way. This is your host, A.L. Savan. Until next time. This episode was made possible by Axway leaders in enterprise integration for over 20 years, and creators of the Amplify platform. To learn more, visit axway.com.